Aina Neil Aunis' latest book. It's called Wonders of the Wild, illustrated by Brian Fitzgerald. Aina, I have lost count of how many books you have produced. Have you any idea yourself? Oh, I think it's about eight. I've nearly lost count myself because they all have kind of the same names. But this one, Derek, is different because this is the first book I have produced and written for children. So it's a big yellow book, quite different to all the other ones. So it'll be just perfect for me and my niece, Avine, which I'll be delighted to give her a copy of when I get my hands on it. But before we get into the book, Aina, I suppose it's important to tell us a little bit about your childhood and your encounters with nature. Well, my childhood growing up with nature was the same as everybody else's in the 1950s. You were sent outside to play and told not to come in until it was either supper time or you were bleeding, one or the other. And as you didn't ever want to go to bed, you never came in until you were called. And we climbed trees and we knew where the birds' nests were and we went to the river and we poked for fish and we looked at the frogs. And so we knew all of the things that were in County Louth around where we lived. And then, of course, being the smart arse I always was, even then, I used to read things. I used to read books and I was always amazed that in the books they said things like squirrels hibernated because I read loads of Enid Blyton and the squirrels didn't hibernate. The frogs used to hibernate at the bottom of the ponds and then they came back in spring and they hadn't drowned and there was never any explanations for the things that I could see. I could see things happening on the one hand and I could find nothing about them in the books or I could find the wrong things. So I decided as things have not improved in the last 50 years that I would write a book on the things that we were misinformed about and I am setting the record right. So it's a collection of things that have always irritated me that people never know or didn't know this or didn't know that. So it's not a complete book on wildlife for anybody. It's a complete book on things that we mightn't have realised were the way they were. And that's coming probably from my childhood when I observed these things myself. Frogs do hibernate, Anna, but squirrels don't. Surely Enid Blyton knew that or did she when she was writing about them? Uh, yeah, because well, Enid Blyton wrote a storybook. She wrote storybooks in the 1940s. And, of course, she had... I mean, that's fair enough. She had animals speaking and talking and doing things. I mean, everybody does that. Don Conroy does it. That's not the problem. But she had them doing the wrong things. She had squirrels gathering nuts and then going asleep for the winter. And then she had silly squirrels who couldn't find the nuts. And then people mistook what she was saying in the books as, as, as true and real. And as a consequence, then, they, they can't believe that things like bats aren't blind, they won't fly into your hair. I mean, these were all in, in stories and in, in, in ghoulish things, things that were written as, as fiction. And as I've always felt to this day, if they're doing fiction for kids, fine, but the fiction should be right. And Don Conroy, to be fair to him, when he has his snakes and his things all talking to you, and they're all doing the things that snakes and things should actually do in real life. And that's the way it should be, because because if you're told the wrong things before you're two, you can't unknow them. And I find this amazing to this day that grown-up people still think that squirrels hibernate and other things like that. Like bats are blind, which of course they're not. So there's no fiction in here at all, Aina. Oh no, there's no fiction in this at all. This is fact. You open each page, there's no animals talking to you or nothing. I'm saying, did you know that, or whatever, you know, how, how things happen. Did you know that spiders have all their legs on their heads? And people can't believe that this is the case, but when you draw the t- one bit and the other bit and put on the legs, they're all on their heads. Getting them to observe stuff. When birds leave their nests, they don't go back every evening with Mammy and Daddy and all get in for cuddles. Once they leave the nest, they're gone. So th- these are the things I'm saying in the book. So I just pick a different one and I have some interesting things like that rabbits eat their own poo, for example, or the things that glow in the dark in the sea that you might see at night glowing eerily what's going on there, or how flies 
guys actually manage to eat your dinner, what they do to it, the unspeakable behaviour of those. So it's all the things that, you know, I would have loved to, but the book I would have loved to have had as a kid. This is what I've written. Well, you have us intrigued now. So tell us, how do flies eat our dinner? <laughs> well... First of all, they have their taste buds on their feet. So that's why flies walk. I mean, if I had wings, I'd never walk anywhere. But the flies do walk because they're tasting. So they're walking on your hamburger, maybe. But they might have been walking on dog's poo a minute ago outside. So they're putting germs all over it. Anyway, they decide that it's lovely. So they want to eat it, but they have no teeth. So they regurgitate a very strong acid. They vomit on top of it, essentially. And this dilutes the, the, the bit of meat around where the thing happens. And then they stick out their tongue, which is like a straw. And they suck up vomit, melted meat the lot and say yum yum and go off and do it again. So you can imagine the amount of germs that are on your dinner if a fly lands on it in the first instance. So I have great pictures, Brian Fitzgerald illustrated the book and he has great pictures of a real close up of a blue bottle and its tongue out and its big eyes and your meat. I mean it's great if you like that kind of thing Derek. Oh I love it, I love it. Aina, it's an absolutely lovely book and congratulations on this. I think it's really wonderful that it's specifically aimed at children but I can also see how it's going to be a wonderful book for adults to read to children and I'm betting that the adults will get every bit as much out of it as the children will. I think that they've probably had a lifetime of these misconceptions and there's going to be a lot of surprised people out there learning about the, the spiders with the legs on their heads or how flies very graphically eat your dinner like that. Is that something you were bearing in mind as well that this is something for the family, this is something that adults are going to be getting something out of too? Well, yes, indeed, having been that parent and that grandparent and of having had to read all sorts of terrible books for kids that were entirely boring, I thought, well, if I was reading this for a child, I I'd really would enjoy it. If your eight years are over, or you're probably from third class on, you can read it yourself, maybe a bit younger if you're good at reading. But for children under that, the pictures are great and children love having stories read to them or books read to them because it's time with their parents or whoever's doing the reading. And whoever's reading it now, at least, will get something that they may not know mind you if they if have to read it all ten times every page they'll know it forever but so I did have it in mind that it, it, it should be a bit of entertainment for the adults as well as for the children I know that you've obviously spoken to a lot of children and a lot of adults over the years about wildlife has that helped to inform your correction of these misconceptions with any ones that you found very very annoying that you wanted to try and put right one that really annoyed me that I really had to put it in was when I was in the school and I was talking about the cuckoo and there was a young fella in the class and nothing would do him, only that there was no such thing as a cuckoo. A cuckoo was a thing that was in his grandmother's flock and it wasn't real and there was no such thing as a real bird and there was no such thing as a cuckoo. And I felt I can't let that go. How can he say such a thing? How is he let off with this? Why is he thinking that there's no such thing as a cuckoo? So I have a whole um, section in this about the bird with no nest and about the cuckoo and where it goes and what it does. So if he ever is reading it, he'll know now that there is such a thing as a cuckoo indeed. And you can confirm that, Niall, I presume. I, I have <laughs> seen, cook, seen cookers with my own eyes. Yes, they're real. <laughs> Richard. Yeah, it's a funny thing about life. We begin with absorbing all kinds of fantasy ideas, but then we have to face reality after a bit. And you're beginning the process by which children have to face the reality of things. It is not all rosy and cuddly, as the fairy tales used to tell us. It's much more um, mixed. Something like, how far are you willing to go, Anna? You take, for instance, rabbits eating their own poo. Well, now, they do this in order to digest it better. In other words, putting it through their gut once doesn't take the nutrients out, but by putting it through the gut, but twice uh, it does take the nutrients out. Do you, do you attempt an explanation for things or, or do you just leave the facts there? 
No, no, I do. I mean, I do explain why they eat their own poo. It isn't just that they've gone mad. I explain that it goes down, they're getting all the nourishment out of it. It's hard to get nourishment out of grass and it has to go through again to get it all out. The first poos in the burrow are soft and shiny and full of goodness still. And the next ones up at the top on the burrows outside, they're all dried out and they've got all the nourishment out of it. But I don't go on about bacteria breaking it down and I don't talk about rumens in cattle and methane and things. But I just say they don't get all the good out of it and it has to go again. So I do explain, I don't just say it just happens and you're left with the opinion that rabbits are quite mad or why are they eating it or why is everybody else not eating their poo? I do explain it's because they're eating grass. Because an awful lot of people when I go to schools, what do rabbits eat? Carrots. As if the world was full of carrots and rabbits going around eating carrots. Whereas it mean that, yeah, if you have a pet rabbit, it'll eat a carrot. But that's it. Just, you know, so to disabuse them of this, that rabbits eat carrots and hold on to them with their hand and gobble them up. I mean, to get the real world and to what happens and to make it interesting is what I wanted to be doing. So that was what I was doing there with the rabbits. So I do explain it, Richard, yeah. You're not just giving facts, you're trying to engage the emotions. The important thing with children is to give them a a love of the thing, give them an appetite for it. Uh, It seems to me very difficult to write for children. I would hate to try and do it, and you're very brave to take it on. Is it different writing for children than writing for adults? Oh, yes, it is. I mean, I, this is, I've been supposed to be writing books for children maybe for the last five or six years. And it was for O'Brien Press and Michael O'Brien, who's gone now, who's dead. But he was, he was very much encouraging me to do this. And I time I'd send in something, it would be rudely dismissed. This wasn't good enough. This wasn't right. This didn't work. You have to have no adjectives, no explanations, no introductory paragraph, no nothing. Just get straight in and get to the point and say what it is. No waffling, no adverbs, no adjectives, no in 1942 before thing, so and so research, such and such. None of that nonsense. What's the story? What's going on? Tell me the bit and tell me why. And on to the next thing. You know, the attention span it has to be grasped at once there's no trying to put in a preamble or anything like that it's quite the opposite to other books where you're trying to get so many words here you're trying to cut back your word count is very low because you have to have your your artists all over the page as well so there's not that many words and you have to get the concept very succinctly and if I can do it maybe interestingly or maybe make it funny or make it icky or whatever that's where the talent apparently comes in it's not just a a section of the encyclopedia about that particular thing. You have to think of the child in front of you that you're actually telling this to. How would you tell it to a kid? You wouldn't be saying all of these um, adverbs and adjectives. If somebody asks you something, you just tell them the answer. And that's what I've been trying to do. And so far, anyway, they published it this time. So let's see how it goes. (laughs) And we have a copy of the said book to give away. To be in with a chance to win, all you have to do is answer the following question, which Aina will pose now. Go to our website and all the details you need are there and how you enter. So Aina, a question please. Yes, I have indeed a, a general question. What is the Irish name for a rabbit? And do you want to give us a clue? Yeah, well, the rabbits were brought here by the Normans and they had a Danish name for it because the Normans were originally Norsemen and they had the Danish name. So the Danish name for the rabbit and the Irish name for the rabbit sound the same, although they're spelled differently. So if you want to take part in the competition, you can email the answer to mooney at rte.ie and in the subject bar, just put Aina's 
book competition. Let's say we give you until Thursday at 12pm to enter and then our broadcast coordinator, Daniel, will randomly select a winner from all the correct entries. Okay? Details on the website, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. Aina, I think we should give you a big bull of us for writing such a wonderful book, Aina. Congratulations! Oh, Richly deserved, Aina. Richly deserved.